Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, my name is Nathan Hobson, and I am a host for the New Books in History podcast, a member of the New Books Network. Today, I'm going to be talking with Jonathan Katz about his book, Gangsters of Capitalism, Smedley Butler, The Marines, and the Making and Breaking of America's Empire, which is out from St. Martin's Press in 2022. Uh, We're just going to jump right into the conversation with Jonathan Katz and start off trying to get a handle on uh, the complexities uh, and scope of this book. Okay, so Jonathan Katz, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, to get started, I mean, this is, this is a big book with a lot going on. So I want to just sort of throw out my understanding of the big, big, big picture here, right? The narrative, uh, the life, the character um, of this fascinating protagonist, Smedley Butler, um, in your book. Um, and just give me an idea if this is a fair summary of the overall picture before we try and unpack all the details for the audience. So in my reading, basically, um, this is a long list. This is a story of the birth and maturation of modern American imperialism, its culmination in an alleged domestic coup attempt led by a shadowy capitalist cabal modeled on foreign inf- interventions, nonetheless, no less. Um, it's told through the biography of this guy, uh, Smedley Butler, the fighting Quaker Marine hero um, who campaigned around the globe, mostly in Asia, South and Central America, the Caribbean, etc., as part of this advanced force for more sort of formal and formal in, uh, informal American empire. Uh, Smedley Butler was instrumental in crushing local resistance, installing U.S. business-friendly regimes, uh, pioneering counterinsurgencies in the so-called uh, banana republics, um, and did a lot more than that before being uh, called back uh, to in, in when he was back in the U.S. to run the Philadelphia police, then recruited to run uh, the domestic coup I just mentioned in the 30s to overthrow the New Deal, replace FDR with a Wall Street business and bank cabal. Um, And also over the course of his career, he had a political kind of awakening. That's a big part of the book, um, as as I see it, um, that made him a kind of an enemy of the very order he had been instrumental in creating. So that ultimately he kind of has a change of heart about his role as what he described as a racketeer for capitalism and a pawn in that racket of wars for American capital and capitalism. Um, So he ends up opposing the plot, exposing these inner workings, et cetera, et cetera, in popular essays and speaking engagements. Am I like, I mean, that, that's a lot going on here. Is that, is that about the shape of things? Yeah, that's a good summary. I mean, the, the, the other thing um, is, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a book about historical memory, uh, you know, what people remember and what they don't. Uh, the, the epigraph of the book is a, is a Creole, uh, Haitian Creole proverb, by coublier pote maxonje, the one who deals the blow forgets the one who bears the scar remembers. Um, and so it's, I'm, I'm talking about, why why Americans don't remember who Smedley Butler, who you're talking about, is. Um, why uh, uh, why Americans, for the most part, don't remember these wars of expansion and control that that uh, that he was part of, um, or 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 the business plot that that happens at the end of his career. Um, and uh, you know, in order to tell that story, I, in addition to you know, doing uh, I think pretty extensive labor in the archives, um, I then, you know, uh, put on my shoes and went around the world, uh, trying to visit, I visited, you know, the places where, where Butler and, and his generation of Marines intervened to then figure out what the historical memory was in those places of this time and what they think of America in light of it. Um, 
But other than that, and then there's a couple other valences besides all those. But I think that this is a pretty good summary between the two of us. I think we did a pretty good job. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I, it's, it's an excellent point, right? That the, uh, not only, of course, the historical memory thing, but the fact that that um, shapes the book, right? That there's this historical side of the book and then there's a more um, sort of on, you know, boots on the ground, um, almost an anthropological account in many, in many ways, very journalistic, uh, up close, intimate, portrayals of what's going on there now. Um, and also, as you say, that uh, I, I'm not going to try and mangle the Creole, but the uh, the English never forget, uh, the, the, the English never remember, the Irish never forget uh, problem, um, which, you know, is certainly uh, a big theme of sort of how this uh, book speaks to uh, American history and historical memory. Um, okay, so we've agreed that we kind of got the shape of the book, uh, more or less laid out. Okay, so let's let's go back through uh, and start in what's essentially chapters one to ten, which is on his early career, um, and I want to unpack that a bit. So, um, before we get to in, into that part of it, I, I want to I want you to talk a little bit about um, exactly how you became interested in this project and how you came to know about uh, Smedley Butler, because um, as you know, he is kind of a forgotten figure in a strange way um, in American public historical memory. Um, and it seems like this is uh, very much tied up in your longer career. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, 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 you know, the way that people tend to come to Smedley Butler, if they come to him at all, um, is either they're Marines, they learn about him in boot camp, or uh, they learn about him, you know, sort of on conspiracy websites or Reddit or something like that, where people are talking about, you know, the business plot. Um, I am a, a, a an even, even a representative of an even thinner slice of people. Um, I learned about him in Haiti, uh, which is where um, I lived for three and a half years. Um, I was the Associated Press correspondent in Haiti from 2007 to 2011. Um, and uh, I met my wife in Haiti. She's American, but she, she works on Haiti. And, you know, I've, I've spent uh, many, many years and much time there, um, even even since I, I moved, moved away from having lived there full time. And uh, I, I came to Butler. The first time I actually read about Butler, I think was, I can't remember if it was on Wikipedia or um, in a absolute uh, uh, doorstop of a book of Haitian history called written in blood, um, which is just a, it's like a, it's like a thousand page um, like overly comprehensive account of Haitian history, actually written by a Marine, uh, Robert Debs Heinel um, and his wife, Nancy, uh, who, uh, who he actually, it's, it's actually a fascinating. That's a, that's a whole other story. Cause he actually, Speaking of like things that Americans don't remember, Heinel actually came to Haiti um, during a military intervention there, um, and he kind of he, he doesn't admit that he's a Marine, like in in this entire like thousand page book, uh, and uh, and and it basically is just sort sort of a a, a, a diatribe against uh, the Haitian dictator. Um, who is a good person to write a diatribe against, but uh, it's it's sort of like this this hidden thing. And anyway, so Heinel talks a lot about the earlier and much bigger um, U.S. occupation of Haiti, which most Americans don't know about, like all these things. Um, we invaded Haiti in 1915. Uh, we occupied it uh, brutally until 1934, so for 19 years, um, and and ran the country. And, and by the way, um, occupation was the, that was the official U.S. government name for what we were doing. 
They called it the U.S. Occupation with a capital O of Haiti. And they were they were saying that as a way of sort of uh, it was kind of an apologetic. It was it was a way of, of of differentiating it from colonization, which in effect really it was over the course of those 19 years. Um, and Butler played a major role in the, the invasion, the occupation. Um, as you noted, he he invented counterinsurgency. Really, he was he was one of the one of the one of the forefathers of, of counterinsurgency doctrine. Uh, which he he helped create uh, to to crush a, a Haitian resistance called the Kako Rebellion. Um, he set up a uh, client army, uh, which is the model for you know modern U.S. Uh, client armies all the way through you know the twentieth and twenty first centuries. You know in Vietnam, Afghanistan, most recently, and and failing most spectacularly um, in in twenty twenty one. And uh, uh, he, you know, reimposed slavery. Uh, he he disbanded a Haitian parliament at gunpoint. Um, so you know he was known in Haiti as uh, as you know the most méchant, the most the most evil of of the Marines. Um, so I encountered him, you know, in in sort of uh, this early time when I was in Haiti. It, it, devotees of, of Haiti or, or people who remember um, twelve years ago will will remember that. In 2010, there was a massive earthquake, um, which destroyed much of the capital, destroyed my house, which I was in inside at the time, um, killed a number of my friends. And when I sat down to write a book about my first book about um, the earthquake and more, more specifically, the subtitle of the book is How the World Came to Save Haiti and Left Behind a Disaster. The book is called The Big Truck That Went By. Um, I knew that I was going to have to, you know, I, I, I kind of dug back into Haitian history a little bit um, to uh, to talk about how things had developed in Haiti that a magnitude seven earthquake became the deadliest earthquake ever recorded in the Western Hemisphere. This is a, a you know, it's, a, it's an earthquake that, you know, um, you know, th- th- there's more to an earthquake than just its magnitude, but suffice it to say you know, anybody who's lives in California or or Chile or you know a, a Japan, another earthquake zone, knows that like yeah, so exactly. So uh, you know a um, uh, you know seven zero is like that's a big earthquake, but it shouldn't destroy an entire city and kill a hundred thousand to three hundred sixteen thousand people. Um, I mean, it's, it, this is it's it, it's 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 an unimaginable number, literally. I mean, you can you can hear the number, but but it's very hard to convey, you know, what what that is like. Um, it's one of the deadliest disasters ever recorded in human history, and that has that was built into Haiti by the occupation. It was built in by the the the, the uh, weakening and and just theft of the state. Um, that, that occupation in 1915 was preceded a couple months before by a bank robbery by the Marines. The Marines, Butler wasn't among them um, just because he was elsewhere doing other things. He was actually helping occupy Mexico at that moment um, where, where he, we had just invaded a couple months earlier. Um, but uh, uh, it, it began with the Marines uh, stealing half the, the gold reserves in the Haitian Central Bank and, and taking them to, to New York to put in a, in a vault from which they were never returned. And so I needed to talk about that. And so I went back to this character with this weird name, the fighting Quaker, Smedley Darlington Butler. And I kind of, I, 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 you know, I plugged them into Google. I, 
you know, I, 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 I looked for, you know, some information about him. I could tell that, 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 you know, he was this fascinating character, much more fascinating. I think that I had even, you know, gathered from, from reading Heinel or, or, or the Wikipedia page, wherever I first encountered him, um, that he had been involved in not just Haiti, but every essentially U S you know, occupation invasion, uh, from, from 1898 until, you know, the 1930s. Um, and then these things came up, um, a book called War is a Racket, uh, the business plot, and uh, and you know this this other Smedley Butler who was an anti-war, anti-imperialist activist, and you know it, it planted a question on my mind. I was like, well, how did this guy who was the most you know mechant, the most you know the most the most evil of of the Marines in this occupation that helped destroy Haiti and helped lay the groundwork for this earthquake that that I barely survived. Um, how did this guy end up becoming an anti-war, anti-imperialist activist? And I used I used precisely none of that in the big truck. Uh, I uh, there uh, Butler's name appears in in a single endnote um, uh, in you know in in this uh, uh, very briefly sketched you know I think paragraph two paragraphs about the the occupation um, in, in in the second chapter of that book. But this question remained in my mind. And as I was, you know, trying to decide, you know, what, what is the, what, what's my next project going to be? Um, and, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't get, I couldn't get that question out of my mind. And I realized that, you know, Butler was a, an incredible vehicle uh or, or or lens, depending on how, which 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 metaphor you want to mix, um, uh, through which to, to which either could carry or through through which to look at the history of American imperialism, um, and why you know Haitians remember these things um, among other peoples, um, and and Americans don't, um, and I decided very early on um, that the way to do this. Uh, was to sort of use my 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 skills as a reporter, as a foreign correspondent, um, to travel to the places where we had done the thing. We I'm using we very liberally here, but but we're, we're but I, as an American citizen, I'm I'm sort of trying to like you know I- implicate myself in in this history, um, and uh, and and hence gangsters of capitalism, <laughs> hence the last seven years of my life. Yeah, and, and I definitely want to return to, um, you know, this very, I, as I think our audience could already tell, sort of impassioned story you're telling about Haitian history um, that really takes up the the kind of middle section of the book. I want to return to that in a minute, but I also want to, uh, before we get to that, get to the first section, uh, which it's also starts in the Caribbean, but actually in Cuba, right? Um, and even before that, I mean, there's this like, there's this whole weirdness about, you know, this 16-year-old kid from a wealthy Quaker family on the Philadelphia main line uh, who becomes a Marine. Why? What was he thinking? And I have to say, I mean, we talked a little bit before the podcast about the fact that uh, I went to a, I went to Earlham College, uh, which is a Quaker school. And actually, fighting Quakers was our mascot. Um, you know, it was a little tongue-in-cheek, a little irony to that. But, you know, when I, when I saw fighting Quaker, like, that was my association. And then it turns out it's this totally different and immensely dark, but also very complicated. And I guess there's sort of a redemption arc in a sense um, story uh, that really starts, you know, where 
where I also I should say I grew up in the Philadelphia area, and so I'm familiar with the main line. I know what the, like the the area is about, and it's just it was so hard for me to imagine um, how this kid um, comes out of that upbringing goes to Cuba and then sets off this incredible like life story. So if you could tell us a little bit about what is he doing in Cuba um, and then sort of we'll move on to South and Central America after that and then get back to Haiti. Yeah. So uh, as you know, Butler was a, a, a you know Quaker kid from, from the main line. His father was a congressman, Thomas Stalker Butler, who ended up um, at the end of, of his father's life, he was he was uh, was known as father of the house. He was he was the longest serving congressman in, in America at the time. Um, and, um, his mother was, uh, from a, a prominent, uh, uh, another prominent Quaker family, the, the Darlington's actually a much more prominent family than, than the Butler's in, in Westchester. Um, and, uh, uh, they were rich, they were very wealthy. And, uh, I mean, they weren't like, you know, they weren't super robber barons, but they were very, very well off. And, um, Butler was radicalized really by, um, uh, what is what is what Americans know as the Spanish American War? Um, a lot of historians will, will will argue with that name of it, and and I I fully buy that argument. But just so people know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Spanish American War. Other names are the Spanish Cuban American War, the Spanish Cuban Filipino American War, um, the Cuban War of Independence, in which the Americans intervened at the very end. Um, but um, uh, you know, as people will probably remember. Uh, uh, no, no, no pun for the, the slogan intended. The Maine, the, the USS Maine, one of the, the first uh, two uh, steel battleships in in the in the Navy, um, explodes in Havana Harbor in February 1898, and it, it is a galvanizing moment for a lot of people. Um, and you know, up to this point, uh, you know, there there was a war caucus, Cuban exiles, American newspapers, um, especially those of, of William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer. Um, uh, they had been and and you know, jingos as they were known, so 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 kind of you know, proto expansionists, p- people who wanted to create an American overseas empire, uh, most notably Teddy Roosevelt, um, who in the middle of this becomes Assistant Secretary of the Navy and then goes to fight in Cuba himself. Um, all of these different actors are trying to stir up Americans into a war fever. Um, and uh, it's, you know, in, in modern terms, I think, you know, the closest thing uh, that we've had up until at least maybe this moment uh, is nine uh, 11. Um, there are some people who are trying to do this to, to store, stir up a war fever with, with, uh, uh, Ukraine with against Russia, um, which we could talk about at the end if you'd like. But um, uh, there is, uh, uh, but but Butler, you know, he's he's a teenager, he's a high school student at the the Haverford uh, Haverford School, the Haverford College Grammar School, as it was known at the time, and um, he wants to go to war. So, uh, as you note, his nickname, one of his nicknames, is the Fighting Quaker, which is everybody loves that nickname. I. Th- uh, 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 my folks went to the University of Pennsylvania, where they also call themselves the Fighting Quakers. Everybody loves it because it's like a fun, oxymoronic thing. But it, it's but it has its roots in a real oxymoronic tradition 
Um, the, 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 the original, I mean, I think the most original fighting Quakers were, were a very small number of people who, who fought in, in the American revolution, but, um, there was a larger number of fighting Quakers who fought in the civil war, which included Smedley's grandfathers, um, including Smedley Darlington, his, his namesake. Um, uh, and f- at that moment, uh, you know, t- t- to some extent that norm was, if not broken, at least kind of nudged um because quakers uh the only thing that they hated as much as war was slavery and so in in the civil war some saw room for an exception um i mean the quaker peace testimony is you know uh, uh, the, the sh- you know shall engage in no fightings under under any pretense whatsoever um, so, so you would think that that would, would, would uh, uh, problematize that, but I can tell you, I, 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 I'm not a Quaker theologian as a Jew. I know that like, there's, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes like you, the, the, the whole of well, our whole religion is, is, is fighting, uh, 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 nuances and, 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 and problematizing rules and stuff like that. So, so religions can do this by the time Smedley, um, you know, in 1898 wants to join uh, the military. He's, he initially uh, uh, goes to the army. They tell him to get lost, and then the Marines uh, take him. Um, you know, by 1898, uh, this had sort of rehardened into a, a, a more uh, a, a, a more strict prohibition. But uh, you know, it was really Maud Butler, his his mother, who who uh, who makes the case to the the Quaker meeting specifically. Um, if if you kick Smedley out for for joining the Marines, the Darlington family fortune goes with him. Um, he goes to the first place that the United States invades, takes, um, and still holds to this day in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay. Um. So, you know, Americans have been uh, some Cuban exiles had wanted the Americans to get involved to, to help them sort of win their final independence from Spain. Um, and some didn't want the Americans to get involved, but uh, but we got involved and uh, uh, it's the Marines who land at this very first beachhead um, and take it in, in, in a battle uh, against the Spanish known as the Battle of Cusco Well. Butler is in in basic training at that moment, but he comes a couple weeks later and, uh, and that's his first duty station. Um, and it's important to note that, um, the, you know, the, the roots that make Guantanamo, the thing that people associate Guantanamo with today are laid in that moment. Um, uh, it is, you know, it, it, it once 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 the Marines take the bay from the Spanish, um, we never give it back. So 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 Cuba as an independent nation never has control over that land. And one of the conditions that uh, the United States government imposes on the client government of Cuba um, which is formed under our, our 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 watchful eye and and at the wrong end of our guns. Um, uh, one of the conditions that we impose on them in, in 1903 under what's known as the Platt Amendment, um, in order to to withdraw American troops, is that they will allow us to keep you know such coaling stations as they were known um, deemed necessary, uh, and uh, and and that specifically is Guantanamo Bay, and so the way that Guantanamo is set up from that moment is that it is, so we are technically renters. We, 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 we cut a check 
to the Cuban government and have continued doing this since the communist revolution uh, or the Castro revolution that becomes the communist revolution. Um, and uh, the, the, the Cuban government um, yeah, basically, you know, since 1959, they just, Castro was just taking the checks and stuffing them in a, in a desk drawer. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that, that Diaz Canel is, is, is still doing the same. Um, uh, but technically as we consider ourselves renters and the Cuban government, our landlord, which means that, so we think of it as being, you know, not us territory. The Cuban government doesn't think of it as their territory because they've never for a second had control over it. Um, and so that is what the Bush administration, the George W. Bush administration used as their legal excuse for why it was possible to have a prison set up at that base at which no law applies. Um, and that is, it, it was under that uh, excuse that we, you know, in, uh, allow indefinite detention, uh, torture, um, and 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 all the other things that that are that are now associated with with the name Guantanamo. Um, so so while while Butler is there, you know, um, you know, over a hundred years before uh, the 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 forever prison is is set up um, in in the wake of of nine eleven, uh, he he is nonetheless, as so many other places that he goes, um, instrumental in help helping create this situation that, that, uh, that the, ple- the people who live in it and around it and who talk about it and live sort of under its shadow live today. Yeah. And, and, and that's, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of detail to unpack there, but, um, you know, the, the thing I'd like to say about that is it's, I mean, it's, it's an inauspicious yet oddly telling and fitting, uh, start to a career that really does, you know, sort of span, all sorts of the the kind of evils of um, modern American imperialism, and as I think you're pointing out very co- cogently here, um, you know, has a long tail, right? It's not that this is dead history. This is very much living history, and I think that's one of the things that makes it so compelling. And another thing, just for for our audience um, to, to point out here, is one of the other things that's compelling about the book is Smedley's mother. Um, woman is a badass. She makes uh, several appearances. Um, here for those who are interested in that. It's a great bit of detail to pick up in the book. Um, but for reasons of time, I want to I want to move on um, to talk a little bit about what comes next before we get back to Haiti, which is the career sort of around South and Central America. Um, and you're highlighting uh, Smedley Butler's role in the creation of the so-called Banana Republics and also the opening of the Suez Canal. Um, but I think it's also really interesting that also this early in the book, I mean, you seem to be identifying at least the tickling of a troubled conscience here uh, in if, if I'm reading you right. Um, and I wonder if you could speak to that as well. Yeah. And by the way, uh, you said Suez, but the Panama Canal, although he actually does go through, he does go through the Suez Canal at one point um, on his way back to the Philippines, which he also helps the United States colonize. Excuse me, I misspoke. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank no, you. totally, totally. I just, I just didn't want anybody to, to, to get confused. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, Butler, um, uh, you know, as, as you, as you alluded to, I think, you know, the first, the first place that he really shows some kind of awareness that, you know, the things that he's doing aren't good, um, while he's there and doing them, um, is in Nicaragua. So, um, just to, to lay in a little bit of the backstory here and, uh, you know, obviously, 
people should just, I mean, just for, you know, for many reasons, people should just read the book, but just to understand what I'm talking about, you kind of have to sort of, you know, go, go through these things and, and unpack it a little bit, but very briefly, um, the United States, as part of the war against Spain, we had annexed, uh, fully annexed a number of Spanish colonies, Puerto Rico, uh, Guam, most importantly, the Philippines, um, which was a, a, a huge Spanish colony in the Pacific, 7,000 islands, 10 million people is now a country of, of over 150 million. And um, uh, that was a very, very bloody war. Um, w- w- when the Filipinos realized that we were betraying them, they uh, we went to war against them and uh uh you know uh, 6000 or so american uh, service members died and and uh, the the highest estimates are about 3 quarters of a million uh, filipinos died uh, over the course of this war it was, it was it was extraordinarily bloody extraordinarily vicious and very very expensive and uh the us government um decided we're not going to do that <laughs> again um and so they decided to come up with more indirect forms of imperialism. Um, I mean, it's important to note, I mean, and, and um, uh, you know, it, it, histor- historians and, hist- you know, historians of, of, uh, of, of uh, American empire and of American foreign policy and diplomatic history will note um, that there has been a, a, a big debate over the last, you know, a couple of years um, uh, uh, between uh, sort of the people who who argue kind of in the uh, 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 William Appleman Williams tradition that the, that this is a that we have an informal empire versus uh, the the uh, the position I think most most recently championed by Daniel Immerwar that that um, that actually we do have a formal empire of colonies um, and and uh, you know my reading is that that both are right um, and also by the way I I uh, 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 Daniel Emmerwar uh, uh, did did some some reads on on uh, on on the draft of, of of the book as as I was finishing and and uh, I think I that that is actually closer to his position as as well despite the fact that he's sort of uh, associated with, with with one side of that debate or the other but what we're seeing in this moment when Butler's in Nicaragua in particular is this is this this yes and moment and this moment where we are moving from outright colonization annexation to informal control and the informal control that we're, we're doing in Nicaragua is known as dollar diplomacy um, or as William Howard Taft put it substituting dollars for bullets the idea is that instead of outright colonizing Nicaragua we are going to control Nicaragua by taking control of its finances um, uh, the go- US government puts out a tender uh, two banks, uh, Brown Brothers, now Brown Brothers Harriman and J.W. Seligman and Company, um, uh, combine uh, forces to create a new so-called National Bank of Nicaragua, which is actually chartered in Connecticut and headquartered in New York. And uh, they create a new um, uh, you know, Nicaraguan currency that is backed in gold, a.k.a. the, the, the U.S. dollar at the time, uh, which is also under the gold standard. Um, we take control of their customs houses, and uh, uh, we create a debt. Actually, a, a brand new debt because because uh, Nicaragua's uh, uh, their balance sheet was was in too good order for this to, to, to 
pretense to actually stick. So we create a new debt. Essentially, um, the Marines and Butler had helped uh, 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 rebels, conservative rebels, overthrow the liberal government of of Nicaragua. These are Nicaraguan political terms of art, capital C and capital capital L. Um, and uh, uh, the expenses incurred by the conservative rebels then become the new quote unquote debt that then puts the Nicaraguan government in quote unquote default, which then quote unquote necessitates the United States to come in and and take over their economy. And um, this is all transparently bullshit. I mean, Butler, every, anybody can see this. Um, Butler sees it. Uh, the, the the admiral in charge of of um, of of naval U.S. naval forces in, in in Nicaragua sees it. The Nicaraguan Nicaraguan politicians see it. Um, every there's no there's no confusion here about what's going on. The Nicaraguan puppet president that we've installed um, is a guy named Adolfo Diaz, um, who was picked for the role. Uh, because uh, he had military experience, but also he was the uh, he he had been the accountant for a Pittsburgh mining syndicate that owned gold mines in in Nicaragua, um, and so they wanted him to be in charge. And of course, he knows it as well, right? Because he's not dumb. No, nobody nobody here is dumb. Um, the thing that but the, the thing that has changed for Butler is first of all, this has become much more blatant. Um, uh, you know, any, any sort of, any pretense of, you know, we're, we're trying to spread democracy. We're trying to spread, you know, Anglo-Saxon principles, um, as, as they were racistly known, the white man's burden. Um, this is, this is all, this is all, this is all dispensed with. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of this rhetoric that kind of hovers around the margins and and is used to kind of make excuses to the American people, but the American people aren't even really paying attention now anyway. And the other thing that's happening for Butler is that he has just um, been uh, promoted to major. Um, and so he's able to, uh, you know, move around more freely, have conversations with people who aren't Marines, uh, who aren't the people who are giving him his orders. And he's able to talk to Nicaraguans. He's able to, able to talk to, um, you know, American uh, wildcat investors who are, you know, coming down to Managua, um, to, to, you know, take advantage of this gold rush of, 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 you know, American capital. Um, and all of them are coming to him because he's, you know, the most senior, uh, uh, you know, American officer on the ground at, at, in, in most of the places that he's going. And they're saying to him, you know, major, um, it would be really great if, if, uh, you guys would, you know, intervene over here, um, because, you know, my company is investigating in, you know, this plantation, this mine, uh, you know, uh, uh, this customs house is particularly important for my family, whatever. Um, and this, and this becomes, you know, very obvious to him. So he writes to, to Thomas and Maud, to his parents, um, letters from Nicaragua that are really the first inklings that, that, that I found, um, in, in the archive of, of him, you know, recognizing, uh, that there's, you know, as, as he puts it, you know, there's no revolutionary spirit down here. This is, it, we're only here because Brown brothers has a little bit of money. The thing is that that doesn't keep him from doing a thing. Um, he, uh, continues, um, uh, you know, f- following orders. He continues implementing American control. Um, there's there's three different um, interventions that that he's part of. 
Um, and, and this whole time, by the way, he's based in the Panama Canal Zone, which, which as, as we were talking about, is a thing that he helped create. As in, and he and, and, and his family, um, another fascinating uh, uh, person in his life, his wife, uh, Ethel Butler, is there with, with their children um, while the Panama Canal is, is being dug. And uh, he is, is deployed um, three different times from the Panama Canal Zone to Nicaragua to you know, the first was to, to help the, the rebels win. And now it's to put down new liberal rebels who are trying to to restore Nicaraguan sovereignty and, and overthrow the, the puppet president, Adolfo Diaz. And, uh, and uh, he, uh, uh, you know, leads forces in 1912, the last of these interventions um in in which he 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 crushes sort of um uh, the last for that moment uh, uh attempt at Nicaraguans taking you know uh, asserting their own sovereignty and and establishing that their 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 right to nationhood i mean you know the the thing that we are talking about right now in ukraine um that's what Nicaraguans are doing they're saying you know just because you're bigger and stronger than us they they're literally saying this i mean you know i i i i have um, you know, um, letters uh, uh, from you know uh, Benjamin Zeladon, uh, who who is is sort of you know the 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 last sort of hero of this moment of 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 Nicaraguan uh, independence, um, uh, who is who is killed essentially in in a battle with with Smedley Butler and, and the Marines. Um, you know, and he's saying, you know, he's he's quoting to the Americans. He's quoting George Washington. Um, and, and, you know, he's saying, you know, that, that, it, you know, it is, it is enshrined in the principles of your country that no, you know, that just because a country is more powerful than another, um, does not give it the right to, to, uh, to, to, to tell it how to govern itself and, and, and to choose its leaders for it. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, Butler is, you know, he's experiencing these, these pangs of, of conscious conscience, um, consciousness, maybe you would even say, um, but uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't keep him from, from carrying out his orders and, and, um, and Zeladon is killed and, and uh, the Nicaraguan independence movement is crushed um, and the United States justice in, in Haiti, which I guess we're going to talk about in a second, um, you know, occupies Nicaragua um, for actually uh, from, from start to finish it's an even longer period of time. It's, it's, it's 21 years. Um, and, and Butler really lays the, the groundwork for that. Um, but as as uh, I've I've already sort of droned on at length. But but uh, the, the, the last the last thing that I'll say is um, and 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 I'll, I'll I'll send people to the book to to, to find out what I'm talking about here. Um, but 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 Butler in this in this battle at uh, the, uh, a place called Coyotepe, um, where where Benjamin Zeladon is killed, the death of Zeladon ends up directly at that moment. Uh, radicalizing a young man named Augusto Sandino, um, who uh, people people of, of a certain of, of certain awareness and a certain age will, will recognize uh, is is the the inspiration the, the the founder of the original and the inspiration of the latter day Sandinista movement. So so Butler Sandinistas Daniel Ortega, who's who's the Sandinista president of of Nicaragua right now at this moment. Um, it is, it is, it is, that is yet another straight line of, of the cascade of history from, from what we did then to the present day. 
Yeah, and and thank you for sort of winding up with that because in addition to um, you know some of the other sort of threads, these these very bright through lines that we have to the present day, that's definitely one of the the really powerful ones. Um, and you know, you mentioned Zeladon's letters, and uh, it's one of those points in the book where I just. <sighs> You know, it was, it's poignant, it's painful, mostly because you can just see it's not going to work. Like, there's just no possible way there's any world in which this is going to, you know, reach anyone's heart. Because as you said, the, the pretenses are gone at this point, right? Um, nobody's listening to that rhetoric. Um, and Smedley Butler, his pangs of conscience slash consciousness notwithstanding i mean he seems to be actually growing more and more cynical right i mean i'm kind of I, I, you know it seems to me there's this kind of downward arc from this um 16 year old boyish tremendously misguided but you know genuine um patriotism loyalty idealism whatever and he just it's going down and down and down and i think that to me it helps to explain a little bit of that legacy that you've already talked about in haiti which is that one word legacy of méchant the uh the, the the as you put it the symbol par excellence of american imperialism in haiti so let, let's get back to that chapter of his life which is actually several chapters of the book yeah yeah so um so as i note um so you know butler goes from nicaragua uh, to to mexico where where the oil companies um, uh, insist on on American involvement in, in the Mexican Revolution, and we invade and occupy uh, Veracruz. Um, it's actually a, a the oilman's lawyer, a guy named William F. Buckley Sr., is the one who who, who calls on on the American government for that. Um, and from um, Mexico, uh, he we uh, the United States uh, go to Haiti. Um, so Haiti is. Um, uh, an incredibly important strategic uh, location for the United States at this moment. Um, so Woodrow Wilson has, has since become president. Um, uh, the, the, the First World War is has just erupted in Europe. Um, the Panama Canal is has just been completed in Panama, um, a country that Butler and the Marines help create uh, uh, by, by fomenting the secession of Panama from Colombia, again, sort of shades of Crimea. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, or, or Donetsk and Luhansk. I mean, it's, 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 it's that kind of thing. It's like, Oh, well, these are separatists and we're going to back them with the full force of our military. Um, and, and, and we, we affect um, Panama's independence from Colombia. And in order to keep European influence out of uh Haiti, specifically German, um, to uh, keep the sea lane open to the Panama Canal. If you look at a map, the Windward Passage, you've got Guantanamo and and uh, far eastern Cuba on one side, uh, and right across the Windward Passage is Haiti. Uh, the Mole San Nicolas is 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 sort of the the the, the equivalent um, uh, Haitian port just across the the the, uh, uh, the Windward Passage, um, and money. So Haiti a country famously founded in the only successful uh, modern revolution of enslaved people uh, from 1791 to 1804. Uh, the Haitians rise up, uh, essentially enslaved uh, African people um, who've been brought to, to the French colony of Saint-Domingue uh, to generate enormous amounts of wealth for the French empire, rise up against their French masters, um, uh, 
uh, defeat them in a in a, a a long and bloody war that ends with uh, a, a a last gasp, a full on invasion of an expeditionary force ordered by Napoleon Bonaparte. Um, so they defeat Napoleon's army and they win their independence as the second independent republic in the Americas, the first being the United States. But of course, Haiti is the first one in which all, all men are actually created equal. All, all, all people actually have, have, have um, a right to freedom and, and, and there is no slavery. But France imposes um, on Haitians over the course of sort of its, its uh, first uh, decade and a half. Um, the, the, this agreement is, is, is uh, finally signed in the 1820s, an indemnity, a crippling economic indemnity in which uh, the Haitians are forced to pay essentially a ransom for diplomatic recognition for the independence that they've already won. It is, it is reparations to French plantation owners for the land that the Haitian uh, people had uh, been enslaved on and, and had liberated um, and for their bodies. You know, the, the Haitians were, had been considered property as just as in, in the United States. Uh, that's how chattel slavery works. And the, Haitian, and the, and the French uh, uh, plantation owners wanted their money back. And Haiti, uh, because they don't really have a choice because France uh, threatens a, a, another invasion if, if they don't go along with this, um, uh, agrees to pay a crippling indemnity. Why does this matter for this particular story that we're telling? Is because it takes Haiti the rest of the 19th century to pay off this debt. And in order to pay off that debt, they take out loans from American banks. Also some German banks and others, but, but um, many American banks, most importantly, Citibank which is still around today, right? And Citibank, it is now 1914, is worried that it's not going to get its money back because Haitian politics are in turmoil um, in large part because of the, the uh, you know, the, the financial uh, uh, pressure uh uh, by you know, forced on them by this debt. I mean, they keep having the, they keep going in default. They keep having these these balance of payment issues, um, and and so you know, a, a succession of of uh, uh, Haitian presidents uh, meet a bad end, and so Citibank is like, well, we need to guarantee our payments, and so they they ask uh, Woodrow Wilson, Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan, um, to authorize a bank robbery, essentially. And the Marines come ashore and they we rob the Central Bank of Haiti. This takes Haitian politics, which are already just, you know, in a in a mess, uh, and 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 makes them even worse. A a a, a president who is willing to sort of make a deal with the Americans um uh is is uh comes to power. Um, but Haitians independent minded as always um, do not like this. They rise up against him. And long story short, this president gets killed and the, the assassination of the uh, pro American president is the pretext that Woodrow Wilson uses to order the full invasion of Haiti 1915. And, uh, and it is, it is, it is, 
you know, I mean, again, I mean, I, it, you know, I, I obviously these things hadn't happened yet when I was writing the book, but the parallels to uh, what 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 Russia is doing in Ukraine right now are 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 legion, um, and and it's basically you know, well, we need to we need to defend them, you know, we we need to protect lives, uh, we need to ensure stability. Um, Haiti's not really a country anyway; <laughs> it's barely a country. Um, we know better than them. Um, and, um, and Butler, uh, uh, leads the, you know, first battalion of the first Marines, uh, his, uh, mentor, um, who, uh, uh, you know, people who read the book will get to know very well. A guy named Littleton Waller, um, is in charge of all us ground forces and, uh, and the Americans invade, um, and, and, uh, decapitate, uh, the, the Haitian government, um, dissolve the Haitian military, um, and crush, uh, a counter, uh, an insurgency with, 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 with a counterinsurgency. Um, and Butler plays a, a huge role in all of that. And, and the reason why, um, uh, there's kind of a three chapter arc of, uh, the Island of Hispaniola. Um, uh, the middle chapter is, is Butler also participates in the invasion and occupation of the Dominican Republic. Um, so, so the United States is is uh, fully occupying the entire island of Hispaniola, the second largest island in the Caribbean, um, from uh, 1916 until uh, 1924, um, uh, and then we we leave our uh, US marine trained uh, uh, dictator in charge, essentially, of the Dominican Republic, a guy named Rafael Trujillo, um, who who readers of um, uh, Juno Diaz and uh, uh, the, the brief and wondrous life of Oscar Wow um, will 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 remember, um, or or of uh, uh, in the time of butterflies uh, for for uh, Julia Alvarez friends out there, and um, uh, and then you know and then and then Butler goes back back to Haiti. Butler spends several years in Haiti, um, and and I mean that and that was the thing that you know I I, I identified with him very strongly because um, you know like him. I had spent, you know, several years uh, in Haiti following the orders of, of, of an unseen and much more powerful than I was uh, larger organization. In my case, it was the Associated Press, um, while uh, the attention of the world was elsewhere because, you know, Americans uh, were, were, were at that point for especially at the end of this, uh, his stint in, in Haiti, um, uh, the, the United States entered uh, the World War, uh, what, what becomes the First World War. And... Um, uh, and Butler is is champing at the bit. He 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 wants to to go to 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 Europe uh, to prove himself in 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 the in in the war that matters because it's the war that involves white people. Um, and uh, um, uh, you know, so yeah, I I I, I identify with that. In 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 my case, uh, I I was waiting to go to um, the Middle East, which was actually my my, my goal. I I had been in the Middle East as a reporter. Um, uh, in Israel and Palestine during the Second Intifada, and I had actually accepted a transfer to Afghanistan, um, uh, which I was waiting to 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 redeploy to uh, when the earthquake struck. Um, so, so I I I I I understood to a certain extent, um, and and could also kind of problematize um, uh, his instincts. But yeah, he was he he really, I mean, in a to to a great extent, um, you know, that was that was the height of his career he becomes a he goes to, to world war one 
Uh, he's at the rear um, overseeing a, a, an embarkation, disembarkation camp. Uh, he's promoted to general. He ends up being, uh, uh, he, he, he leads troops as a general in China. It's his second intervention in China. The first is, is in 1900. He goes back to China in the 1920s. Um, and he retires a major general. So in terms of like his resume, he's got, you know, uh, 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 room to grow. But, uh, you know, in Haiti, where he's a major and then a colonel, that is really, that's the height of his influence. It's the height of 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 his um, uh, uh, you know, it, and, and it is the place where he is, is, is remembered best um, by, by Haitians, uh, by, by, by the people that he colonized today. Um, and, uh, and, and so it was a really important place for him. It was really a place really important place for me. And, and, and that's kind of where our, our, our storylines intersect. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that, um, time in serving in France, uh, in world war one, which you mentioned, um, begins, I, I guess, what's kind of, if this were a, a pop song, uh, the bridge, right. It's this kind of like little weird interlude, uh, between the verses where Smedley Butler, uh, as this decorated but increasingly troubled war hero uh, heads back to the States to his native city of uh, the, you know, the Philadelphia area. Um, and he becomes the police chief in Philadelphia. Um, he makes himself persona non grata uh, in part for his very vigorous and vigorously insubordinate um, targeting of prohibition violations. But um, it, one of the things that you point out, right, is that what's actually shocking to the American conscience in a way is largely the way that he's bringing home these techniques of anti-insurgency and counterinsurgency that he's pioneered, uh, especially in Haiti uh, with the gendarmerie, et cetera. He's bringing those techniques home to the American homeland. Um, and he's also starting this, you know, again, to think about the present, uh, very long, troubling history of the militarization of American policing. Yeah, yeah. He um, actually, when I um, when I was writing the book, uh, I I thought, uh, you know, throughout that I wasn't going to really deal with the his time in Philly um, as as you know the, the d- director of public safety and and the militarization of the police force, um, and then twenty twenty happened, and I was I was I was just coming to to, to the part where where I was going to work on that. Uh, where I had to sort of make a decision, um, and and you know the George Floyd uprising kind of made that decision for me, um, because yeah, I mean it, that's exactly it. Um, Butler, uh, you know he's he's brought to Philadelphia to sort of you know clean up gangsterism, uh, clean up uh, um, you know the the bootleggers, um, and and he does so you know the only way he knows how through violence um, through through. You know, strict regimental order. Um, he 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 tries to make the police um, as as close to his marines um, as he could get, um, and he um, you know he 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 uh, uh, heavily arms them. He he you know creates a sort of like mobile artillery almost. Um, he creates sort of a you know command and control uh, systems of communication. Um, he wires. Um, uh, a, a, a system of spotlights on uh, City Hall in Philadelphia um, to 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 communicate to sort of these like you know Marine style you know out observation posts uh, guarding the entrances uh, in and out of the city, um, and uh, Philadelphians don't like it. <laughs> they um, so the you know the 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 people who complain loudest or who, the people whose complaints are are most clearly heard in the historical record, I should say, 
um, are white Philadelphians uh, who object to being treated in a way that they think that, you know, only essentially, you know, Mexicans, as they put it, you know, should be should be treated. Um, but the real people, the, the people who really uh, get get the real short end of the stick here are black Philadelphians um, who, you know, as, as I, I as I found in my research, are arrested at far higher rates um, than than uh, uh, than 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 other Philadelphians. Um, race is a complicated concept in in in, uh, in 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 a northern place like Philadelphia in in the early twentieth century. Um, you know, to, to to a great extent, you know, since then, the entire United States has kind of adopted sort of the southern style of understanding race. I mean, essentially a one drop kind of rule. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, that the, the only, or, uh, 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 division that really matters is sort of, you know, black versus white and everything else sort of, you know, fit slots into that, uh, in Philly in, in the early 20th century, you know, there was still, um, a, a, a much stronger idea of, of what are now sort of known as, you know, the ethnic whites, um, uh, Jews, Irish, Italians, um, you know, who, who are, they're not white. They're not, they're not the wasps. Um, they're, they're much more, uh, likely to be involved in, in, uh, in bootlegging, um, because, you know, they're, 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 they're on the margins of, of society and, and, and they're, they're trying to look for, for ways in. Um, and, um, and, and, and all of that is sort of informing Butler. I mean, Butler, like Butler looks at, you know, the, uh, the Yiddish and Italian, uh, speaking, uh, uh, peoples of Philadelphia and, you know, and the gangsters among them, um, as being, you know, foreigners, he actually gets into, um, a fight with Al Capone where he says that Al Capone, I've actually, I've, I didn't talk about this. The book, I haven't talked about this anywhere. So, so this is exclusive to you. Um, Al Capone, uh, he, 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 he says that Al Capone should be deported. Um, and Al Capone, like, like, like claps back. He's like, I was born in the United States. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an Italian citizen. I'm, I'm an American citizen. Um, and, uh, and, and that is really, and, and that is to, to a certain extent, that is why Butler, um, uh, feels, uh, entitled, empowered to, to, to sort of do the thing that he's doing because, you know, he's, he's fighting for the real Americans to a certain extent, right? Um, he's fighting for, for, for white people. He, he doesn't interrogate these things very much, right? I mean, and, and I, I talk a lot in the book about the way that Butler's unspoken white supremacy um, informs the thing that, that, that he is doing all throughout his career. And you know, I, I talked a little a, a few minutes ago about um, his mentor Littleton Waller, who's a real doctrinaire, you know, first family of Virginia, old school Southern white supremacist, um, who is just like exterminate the blacks. Like, we what what do we even need them for anymore now that slavery is gone? And and Butler sort of sees himself in, in opposition to that, but in, in in so doing, Butler kind of presages the kind of more institutional unspoken white supremacy that people are familiar with today and, th- and th- that we're having arguments about today. Um, uh, and, um, and yeah, and so he's, he's using that. And so um, I, uh, you know, in, in, in that sort of uh, uh, chapter of the book, um, you know, I, I connect and it's not a reach at all. I, I connect, you know, very directly um 
the militarization of the Philadelphia police that Butler oversees, um, one of Butler's cops uh, that he that he you know empowers to uh, you know use uh, ex- extreme brutality against black people. Um, and to sort of, you know, enforce this this kind of um, more expansive nativism that ends up incorporating the ethnic whites um, is a guy named Raphael Rizzo, uh, Ralph Rizzo, whose son, Frank Rizzo, um, ends up becoming Philadelphia police chief and then the mayor of Philadelphia um, and, and one of the most notorious uh, mayors in, in 20th century American history. Um, uh, who, who, uh, in, uh, one of his races for, for, for mayor, uh, you know, tells, uh, voters to vote white, um, uh, because he's being opposed by the NAACP, uh, for his, his, uh, his, his record of brutality against, uh, black Philadelphians. Uh, he helps, you know, uh, oversee, um, you know, the, the fight between the Philadelphia police and the group called move, uh, which ends up, uh, 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 you know the Philadelphia police after Rizzo is gone, uh, uh, but while he's still alive, ended up you know bo- literally bombing uh, um, uh, th- this this uh, sort of black separatist compound uh, to the ground and killing a, a number of children. Um, and in 2020, um, uh, the George Floyd protests, the Black Lives Matter protests in Philadelphia, take on the shape of really fighting against and trying to. Um, dislodge the cult of Frank Rizzo um, and, and literally uh, gathering around a statue of Frank Rizzo um, and, and demanding that it be taken down, which ultimately it is as a result of the protests. Um, and, and so, yeah, all, all of that, all of that goes, goes back to, to Butler and for all of his self-criticism, his, you know, pangs of conscience um, and his anti-war and anti-imperialist, activism that 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 emerges at, you know in the years after he's he's running the Philadelphia Police Department in in, in the 20s um he never interrogates uh his his internalized uh white supremacy and and uh, and the racial politics that the kind of govern him and 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 by extension um govern the places that he governs um he he never really sees that because you know like a lot of of white Americans. I mean, that, and that, that's what we're, that's what we're fighting about today. That's what, that's what the, the fights about, um, you know, critical race theory and, and, you know, the, uh, the teaching and, 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 and remembrance and, and, and self-criticism of, of, uh, uh, of, of American history. Uh, what that's really about is, is white people saying, you know, but we're not Littleton Waller. I like I. I'm not as racist as my as my father. I'm not as racist. I I am not. I am not as racist as as you know. Uh, my my Confederate you know great great grandfather. Um, haven't we moved on from this? Are are we better? And and uh, um, and, and, and you know and so Butler actually occupies like a really fascinating way of of uh, of looking at that history. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is a place where you've uh, pointed out not only, of course, the relevance, sudden relevance to the Ukraine situation, um, also to America's, you know, particularly America's uh, uh, reckoning with structural racism, um, the obvious, which we haven't gotten to, uh, which I think will have probably drawn some people to the book already is the January 6th insurgency, uh, which we'll get to in the relevance of that as well. But, you know, for me personally, this Philadelphia interlude as somebody who... 
I think one of my first, you know, real formative uh, memories, sort of media memories, is the move bombing, right? I mean, in, in 85, that got to be the Challenger, in 86 was probably the next one, right? Um, these things that are just sort of seared into my brain about my hometown from, from my childhood, um, that uh, really sort of brought home to me this, you know, this sort of separate part of the story. Um, and I just had no idea how it was part of this much, much longer history. Um, and so it was, it was sort of very, again, just very personal for me to, to, to read this chapter. So I'm glad that you decided to go ahead with that. I'm also glad you gave us an exclusive. That's, that's very much appreciated. Well, I was just going to say not for nothing, but you know, the, the, the members of MOVE, and I'm not trying to, this is that's a whole other conversation because you know, it's, it's not like it's not like they didn't do some very problematic things themselves, but the members of MOVE um, were, they were aware of this. And so they, they saw themselves as, you know, being in, in, in participation and in conversation with, you know, third worldist movements and, and decolonizing movements. They, they saw they saw their relationship with the Philadelphia police as being the relationship between like a, a colonizing force and a colonized people, um, which, which was, which was a longstanding uh, understanding of, of the situation that black Philadelphians have going back to the period that the Butler was in, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, who was also in Philadelphia uh, for a lot of this time, he talks about it. Um, and so, you know, again, I mean, to, to, you know, uh, uh, you know, m- most Americans, many Americans are not aware of these things, but some some Americans are, and it all depends on on your 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 position and and your relationship to power. I just wanted to note that. Oh yeah, I, absolutely, and I, yeah, I appreciate you uh, bringing that in there. Um, so the, there's this there's this great passage uh, which I I, I just, I'll, I'll read this. Uh, I think it was the opening line. I forget which chapter this was. You say, like any good dysfunctional family, the Marines welcomed Butler back. And you're talking about after his firing from Philadelphia. Um, So he's posted back to San Diego. Um, He's briefly involved in the Chinese Civil War. That's another deployment to China. Um, And it seems to me this is really important because it is kind of his breaking point. It's it's where we reach the sort of latter stage of his career in a sense. Um, And and you sum it up actually uh, using the very eloquent account of one of the guys that served on under him. Uh, So I just want to read that. Um, He says, we landed at the Standard Oil docks and lived in Standard Oil compounds and were ready to protect Standard Oil's investment. I wondered at the time if our government would put all these Marines in a position of danger where they might sacrifice their lives in defense of Standard Oil. Later, I discovered that, of course, it would and did. It was only some years later that I learned that General Butler had been thinking the same way. Yeah. And that, by the way, is David M. Shoup, who then becomes commandant of the Marine Corps. So that's not that's not that's not just a, that's not just I mean, I'm not but just that's not just a random Marine. I mean, that, that's somebody who ends up playing a, a major role and then himself in the 1960s when he's commandant um, ends up using his post as commandant to speak ineffectively um, against U.S. escalation in Vietnam. So it's, um, you know, again, tendrils of history. But yeah. Yeah. And so this brings us to uh, the the last couple chapters about Butler's late career. So he's nearing 50. He's burned out. He's cynical. He returns to the uh, to the U.S. for the final time uh, after this this uh, stint in Shanghai. Um, And there 
uh, and this is something we've already touched on, but he discovers this unforeseen lucrative talent for public speaking. Um, and also that, uh, as you put it, Americans would be scandalized by a frank discussion about what their government and military had really been doing overseas. So I thought this, you know, you, you talked about how his sort of has this unexamined uh, racism. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that he also had a sort of unexamined sense of you know, like, of, of course, this is what we're doing. Everybody must kind of know this. And then he comes back and starts doing public speaking engagements. And, you know, there's a lot of pearl clutching and freaking out. And he's like, wait a minute, you, y'all didn't know this. Um, and this becomes the sort of coda of his career um, as this outspoken critic of the American political and commercial empire, which he had been facilitating for all these years. Um, he even participates in the so-called bonus march of 1932 in Washington. If, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but um, it's detailed in, in the book. Um, so what's going on anyway in, in Butler's head at this point? How is um, and, and how is this a, a prelude to his, and, and we have to say, alleged uh, recruitment for that plot to overthrow FDR? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in Butler's mind, and I, I, you know, I spent years, you know, sort of trying to marinate, kind of in 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 you know Butler's letters, and, and try to get as close to to his thinking as I could. Um, you know, to a certain, you know, he and and throughout the book, I, I trace you know, his relationship with. Post-traumatic stress disorder, moral injury, um, which as uh, which psychologists you know describe as you know having done or, or allowed something to happen that, that violates your you know most deeply held uh, ethics. Um, so those things are happening in his mind, um, and he and he's dis, he's dealing with the dissonance between a a career in which he is you know uh, celebrated by Hollywood and you no know, celebrity in in America. Um, you know, twice the recipient of the Medal of Honor um, is often, you know, that the, that's the one thing that Marines know him about today is that is that he 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 won this this today it's just an unattainable. Essentially, you have to die basically to get the Medal of Honor. You know, more often than not, um, and 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 he received it twice. Um, you know, he was friends and enemies with you know presidents. Um, he was a big, 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 big deal. And he had built this life and built this career um, and built this fame doing things that caused him moral injury. It, 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 it violated his, his, uh, his, his Quaker ideals and, and, his, and his sense of, of right and wrong. And he had gotten involved in 1898 to free a benighted people. I mean, he, he saw himself, it was kind of a white man's burden way of looking at it, but he saw himself as, as going to free little Cuba. And, and then he had done all these other things. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's what's going on. And, and the other thing that's happening for him, um, and this is a big thing is he can see before almost anybody else can, um, that another world war is about to break out. Um, and he, he knows how horrible war is and he knows that no good really comes of war. And he sees the way in which, um, it, you know, destroyed, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the soldiers, um, who he, uh, saw, you know, in his disembarkation embarkation camp at the rear in world war one. Um, he knows the way in which it, it destroyed him I and mean, he's been shot multiple times. He's, he's gone, you know, he has PTSD. It's not called that at the time, but that's what he has. And, um, and he doesn't want that to happen again. And he sees the way in which, the United States, and particularly uh, our rivalry with 
Japan is, you know, is moving toward a great power confrontation over the Pacific. And he doesn't want that to happen. (laughs) And he spends basically, you know, the last decade of his life, um, and especially the the years after the business plot, which we'll, we'll, we'll touch on very briefly in a second. Um, uh, trying to to keep the United States from from getting involved in another world war. Do you want me to just very briefly just explain what the business plot is? Just I'll, I'll give I'll give the very quick and dirty. I mean, I I, I think we we have okay. to. Yeah. <laughs> so, in nineteen thirty, very briefly, in nineteen thirty three, nineteen thirty four, a group of uh, Wall Street financiers, um, one representative of a particular financial house, approaches Butler to lead a coup to overthrow Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, and and the and the the point is that these businessmen don't like the New Deal. They know they can't defeat it at the ballot box, so they need to use fascism to do it to to to, to overthrow it. Um, that they need to um, uh, uh, they need to you know bring a, an armed column of half a million World War One veterans into Washington to um, uh, intimidate Franklin Roosevelt into either resigning or delegating all of his powers to a a um, uh, uh, a, a successor, a, a cabinet member who who the plotters would name. Um, and the reason we know about it is because Butler blows the whistle on it. He goes to Congress and testifies about it. Um, the, the guy who recruited him is also called before Congress to testify. And while he purges himself and contradicts himself throughout the testimony, essentially confirms the, the broad outlines of everything Butler said. Um, the word alleged, I think, still applies because we don't know for sure who else be- besides him and really his boss, um, who had the background in, in military intelligence to to um, credibly uh, have been involved with 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 this plot. Um, we don't really know if if the bigger names, um, you know, the Duponts, uh, Alfred P. Sloan, the head of General Motors, you know, people like that, uh, the, the extent to which they knew about what was happening, um, but. And ultimately, nobody is held responsible, um, and uh, uh, and and there's that. And 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 what Butler recognizes in this moment is we're seeing then as now, you know, this 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 tide of authoritarianism, of fascism, um, taking root uh, all over the world um, uh, and at home. And and there's there are a lot of people in very prominent positions. Heads, you know, the head of J.P. Morgan, um, you know, members of the New Deal administration, even um, who who look to you know fascism as a model to emulate, um, and um, uh, uh, and and Butler understands the ways in which you know sort of the, the authoritarianism that he has, the kind of proto fascism that he has 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 been uh, doing abroad uh, can come home. And uh, he sees that that you know the threat of that in in uh, this approach of, of the business plot, um, and it should be noted. I mean, I talk about it in the book, but like this was not even the only like you know plot to, fascist plot to overthrow the United States government that the committee heard the day that Butler testified. There was another guy who like had a totally different plot um, that that he came in and and you know was talking about this, this guy who had um, seemed to be even l- less well formed, but like that this guy had had approached him with. Um, so a lot of Americans, this is the Great Depression, a lot of Americans were, were, were looking to fascism as, as sort of a, a way out of America's crises, um, which, you know, again, uh, th- there are a lot of people in America right now um, who, who, who look to a strong man and a strong leader and, and violence 
um, uh, you know, uh, ensuring, you know, the ideal social order as they see it um, as a, as a way out of a, out of a lot of problems. And, um, and, and Butler knew firsthand uh, the destructive nature of that. And, and so, you know, so, so Butler is Butler's, but he's, he's seeing the rise of fascism. He's seeing this coming world war. Um, and he kind of, uh, uh, you know, wears himself out over the last uh, years of his life, um, trying to prevent uh, all of these things from happening. Um, and he dies young. I mean, he dies at, at 58 um, of cancer in 1940. Um, yeah. And, and so this is, I mean, you know, the, the, the way in which um, all of these uh, mechanisms and structures and techniques of, uh, you know, the American imperialism, uh, which Butler Butler has been helping to develop overseas, in many cases rather directly for American business interests, um, are in this you know are brought home uh, in the same way that those techniques were brought home to Philadelphia, um, you know, when he was the uh, head of public safety, right? And mm-hmm. so it's this really you know. Uh, the boomerang effect yeah. there uh, is is you know, it's kind of head spinning, um, and I think um, you know it's it's a another way in which uh, the book says a lot about uh, you know how these uh, uh, developments um, have a long afterlife. Yeah. Right. And how we still feel their effects very directly today. Um, and so this is actually where I wanted to, to try and start to wrap up a little bit. Right. Because you know, you, you've talked about you know, he dies young um, and we've reached the point where it's time to talk about what his legacy is. Right. He's we, we've covered the fact that he's a tremendously complicated character yeah. um, and that, you know, in some ways, look, I, we're very much beyond the whole great man theory of history. But he is in his own very ungreat way. He is a great man. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, he, he has an enormous uh, uh, impact on the, the, the world that we live in, um, not because he was a great guy, but because he was a great man <laughs> uh, in that sense. Right. right? And so, so I'm really curious what you think his legacy is. Right. You write in the intro um, that his contradictions are America's. Um, and, you know, he calls himself a racketeer for capitalism reformed, I guess, is the uh, uh, assumption there. Um, you know, he's one of the most important on the ground facilitators. Uh, facilitators for American empire. And as you, as you write, he held on to principles of equality and fairness throughout his life, even as he fought to install and defend despotic regimes all over the world. Um, so is there an easy takeaway here or, or is it really as muddy and complicated as we've been making it sound? I think, you know, Butler is used in lots of different ways today. Again, it's in a very small portion of the population who talk about him. Um, but you know, a, a, a lot of people sort of, you know, point to war as a racket, which is sort of an, an early, um, uh, expose, you might call it, um, it's, it's got some errors in it, but, but I, I think you can call it that, um, uh, uh, about the military industrial complex as, as, as Dwight Eisenhower ends up terming it, uh, um, a couple of years, a couple decades later. Um, and um, you know, a lo- you know, so a lot of people quote war as a racket, um, uh, in both productive and non-productive ways. I mean, I think they, they look at, they look at, uh, they look at the military industrial complex and the ways in which we need to interrogate, uh, American rhetoric and, and American, um, uh, uh, militarism. Um, we are not always a force for good in the world. I think more often than not, we are not, especially when our military is involved. 
Um, and this is not a slight on the individual people who are in the military necessarily, but, but, uh, but institutionally, um, you know, we, I mean, look at the last 20 years, you know, we've, we, we just, we, we illegally blow up countries and occupy them. And then, and then when we're done occupying them, you know, in Afghanistan right now, we abandon them and, and, you know, steal the money out of their, their central bank to, to, um, uh, to, to, you know, to force people to starve. We, 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 we fund, uh, you know, horrendous massacres in, in Yemen. Uh, you know, we're bombing Somalia right now. We're like, we, we don't do, (laughs) we don't do good things, but, and this is, I think this is, you know, kind of a, a place to just, you know, uh, uh, drill down and, and, and put a period on it today. Um, there's something there. And what I was going to say is that, like, some people then kind of go into a much more conspiratorial bent, um, which, you know, they're, they're, they're drawing on things that are in Butler and also, in, like, get used. It, it, people are trying to use Butler for this, even at sort of the end of his life. Where there's sort of you know like this idea that you know it's like, oh, it's, it's like a cabal like it's like a you know like there's like there's like an unseen you know group of like you know conspirators who are like behind the scenes like pulling everybody's strings and it's not really how it works Americans Americans have a very hard time understanding structures <laughs> and the way that the way structures work I mean you, again you see this in, in the the debate over critical race theory like people are like you know. It's like, you know, oh, it must be a conspiracy. Like, critical race theory must be a conspiracy. Then, like, and it's like, no, these are structures. It's like, no individual needs to be making, like, you don't have to have, like, a, a planning committee that is, like, in a room around a table making these decisions and saying, we're going to, we're going to fool these people this way and fool these people that way. But to a certain extent, like, everybody's just kind of part of the same thing. And it's promoting certain people for certain reasons. And they don't even know the reasons they're getting promoted. And, and, and these things end up, um, I'm just sort of, you know, uh, coming out in the wash. Um, but there is something in Butler, and, he, and and this is the thing that I I, I wrestled with most um, as I was trying to sort of, you know, bring bring the whole thing to, uh, 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 you know, a, a, a satisfying enough conclusion to write the end at the end of the book. Um, uh, which I didn't write. I didn't write those words, but essentially, you know, that's 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 what I'm doing. I is it's. What is it? Does it even matter that Butler believe that he that he carries these ideals of of equality um, and and fairness? Right as you were as as you were noting, um, does it even matter that he kind of has these small d democratic, uh, small l liberal um, ideals? Um, and I think it, I, I think it does. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going, I'm going to tentatively die on the hill that that matters because because it is in insofar as empires go, like insofar as like there are great powers in the world that do horrendous things, um, uh, and 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 we should be fighting against those in all their forms, whether whether it is you know. You know, and 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 it, you know whether it is standing up with you know the the Ukrainians who are resisting Russian aggression, but also crucially showing solidarity with the Russian people who are who are risking their 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 lives and their safety to protest against uh, you know the Putin regime and people who 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 uh, risk their their lives and their safety uh, protesting for for rights in in the United States as well, um, and trying to affect change here. Um, you know, those ideals, they matter, like they matter, they matter in the breach. 
And there is there there are forms of cynicism which say all empires are equally bad, so let's just go with the authoritarian who makes me feel good about myself today. Um and um and uh, you know, and 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 nothing really matters except for you know this kind of like Hobbesian realist you know use of force, and and and, and Butler's idealism ma- matters as a very real corrective to that, because ideals are not fuzzy things; they actually matter in the breach. It really matters. It really matters whose hand is on on the trigger. Um, and 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 who is overseeing the nuclear arsenal, uh, and, and who is who is trying to dismantle more more importantly the nuclear arsenal? These things really matter. These things really matter. Um, you know which Ukrainians we support? Like, are we support? Like, there are Ukrainian Nazis who are like in the Ukrainian military. Like, like are are we just saying, well, it doesn't matter who is fighting against them as long as we're they're on our side? And 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 Butler's Butler Butler like points to a thing, you know, a, a way of thinking that says, no, it does matter. Ideals do matter. They do have a f- concrete, real impact on real people's lives. Um, and, and that they are worth fighting for and, and, and they, they're even worth dying for, um, and worth fighting for in ways that are not necessarily military. Like they're, 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 they're worth, they're worth getting out in the streets for, (laughs) they're worth, they're worth, they're worth putting reputations on the line for, um, uh, um, and, uh, and, you know, and look again, not a perfect guy, you know, an, an anti-hero um, and, and doesn't see, all, you know, all, all the things that he's done and the things that he's continuing to do until until the day that he dies in some extent, to some extent. But 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 he is somebody who who was able to um, uh, look at himself and his history and his country in a in a, in a critical way. Um, and I think that we can really, you know. Insofar as there's any time left to do anything in the world with climate change and the nuclear threat and all these other things, um, we can learn. We, you know, we, we we can learn a lot from that. And so I think I think that is why I was drawn to him as a character, and 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 why why his his way of telling the story really matters. That that's what I would say. Yeah. Well, I have to give it to you that it's. Um impressive that you managed to end up this particular story on a message, uh, a note of hope, if not optimism, at least hope. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, but I also want to, um, you know, thank you for being so generous with your time, uh, and give you a chance to, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days, if you'd like to, uh, before we close it out. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the, most of the writing that I'm doing, um, is, uh, uh, my newsletter, the racket, um, uh, whose, whose, whose name, uh, derives obviously, uh, ultimately from war is a racket. Um, you can find that at the racket.news, uh, that's dot N-E-W-S. Uh, it's like a podcast newsletter. Um, I am still, uh, uh, writing for, you know, major publications and all that stuff uh, while, as I continue on the book tour, um, and you can keep, uh, uh track of, of, all my movements um, at uh, on Twitter uh, at cats on earth. It's my last name, K A T Z on earth. Uh, and yeah, keep in touch. 
All right, great. Well, again, um, thank you for uh, being so generous with your time. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back when uh, your next book comes out. Hopefully it won't take you seven years because I don't want to wait that long, but uh, we will see you then. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye.